0: Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Kingsway Podcast from Pastor Sean. You are about to hear a message from a recent Sunday service. We consider it a privilege to be on a spiritual journey with you. So take a few moments with us and allow God to inspire you today. I'm really excited about what the Lord has shared with me. So I start with this. What does a rooftop, a shower, and a river have in common? Of course, I wanted you to go for that, water. Okay, what about a belly of a fish, a pile of ash, and a car? What do they have in common? What if I told you all six of these things had the same thing in common? Have you ever experienced your kids on Christmas morning racing through the opening of gifts to get to the gift they really want? You know what I mean. That guy knows what I mean. In our family, we put it in the back. So, you know, whether it's a big gift or small gift, they kind of know the shape and size it comes in. I love to surprise my kids. If it's a small gift, I put it in a giant box. If it's a giant gift, I take a little teeny thing off of it and put it in a tiny box. I do anything I can to throw them off. I've even had to get to the point where my kids are so creative and insightful that they, they figured out some of my plans. So I have to actually number the gifts now, and so they open them in order to not mess up any of the surprises. I mean, we take all year to get to this point, right? Have you ever given that special gift and not get the reaction that you were looking for? you know, the gift that you thought about and planned for, maybe went out of your way to purchase or make or create or find or discover. You hand it to the person, they unwrap it, and you look at their face, and you're saying, man, I wish I didn't film that. Because on their face is confusion. Or disinterest. Or or maybe even anger. Why did you give me this? That's not what I want it. Kids do that these days, I hear. What about the experience of you giving someone a gift, a great gift? You know it. They know it. But for whatever reason, there's no thank you. You know. There's not that, oh! Oh, this is great thanks dad or thanks mom or thanks uncle or thanks aunt or whatever maybe that's because they were just too preoccupied with the moment and wanted to open it maybe that's because it was from Santa maybe that was for any number of reasons you know how it feels all of these are examples of parents or gift givers on Christmas morning walking through the experience of Christmas wondering oh, are we just missing it What if I told you that we, ourselves, us, here today, in fact, we do these things all the time. Maybe not at Christmas, but no doubt, once a week, and probably once a day, every day. I'm referring to your spiritual habits. More than likely, this is how we treat our Heavenly Father, who treats us like it's Christmas every day, quite literally, he gave us his son and expects us to acknowledge that and honor that every time we wake. Almost as if we were to run downstairs to see what God has in store for us today. The Bible says he gives us good gifts. He gives us what we ask for and he will always provide for us. It also explains that all good things come from above. If it's in your life and it's good, it's from him. Amen. Amen. But what do we do, huh? We probably blow through all the fantastic miracles each day, like waking up, breathing, our health, our jobs, our homes, our possessions, and we simply go on with life. And eventually, we ask God for more good gifts. And when we don't get exactly what we want, we might find ourselves throwing a bit of a spiritual tantrum. No? Have you ever had God answer a prayer, but do it in an unexpected, do it in an unintuitive way? Ever feel spiritually confused? Confused with the answer? Disinterested in his reply? Or even a little mad at God? Maybe the gift giver had a specific intention to the gift that to an untrained eye would be dismissed. So you know what's supposed to happen. The gift giver would explain the present, but how could that ever happen if the gift receiver never stops to take intentional time to hear from the gift giver? Even more directly, how many days go by where we simply do not interrupt our day to stop and tell God how thankful we are for the gift of today, the gift of His Son, and the blessings we have already been given? Truth is, I certainly am guilty as charged. I'm just like you. My God time is as limited, overlooked, and misguided as most other well-meaning Christians. Every Christmas, I'm reminded about something. I'm reminded about how God wants to feel. I'm reminded, in turn, how he does actually feel when I spend time with him, when my children bathe me in praise and thanksgiving for all the wonderful gifts I bestow on them. You know the deal. You open the gifts. The kids love them. They run up to you and hug you and tell you thank, thank you. They may say something like, best Christmas ever, best presents ever, I'm so happy, et cetera, et cetera, You're the best dad ever. You're the best grandmom ever. You're the best whatever ever. And you know how it makes you feel. In fact, you want to give good gifts just so you can feel that and hear that. Don't you think our Lord God wants to feel the same way. You see, I'm talking about prayer. Not taking time to pray is like not taking time to thank someone who just gave you a gift. It stinks being a thankless gift giver. You wouldn't like it and neither does God, our almighty heavenly Father who gives good gifts. I'm going to run through some verses just to get the juices going. First Chronicles 16, 34. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His, you can read with me. It's on the screen here. Maybe this will help you. His faithful love endures. There's somebody reading today. You have the gift of literacy. Use it. Amen. All right, James 1:17. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our Father, who created the lights in heaven. God says he gives good gifts and they come from him. Do you have good things in your life today? It came from God. Colossians 4, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Hopefully you're getting the picture here. There's lots of things I could teach you about prayer, and these verses are saying, At minimum at the bare minimum you need to be thankful because god has already given you something before you even ask for anything new amen amen first corinthians 1 4 i always thank my god for you and for the gracious gifts he has given you now that you belong to christ jesus I'm thankful for you. Maybe you're thankful for me. And God has given you gifts. God continues to give you gifts all year long. Simple things like the ability to wake up and the ability to breathe. And big things like new jobs and little babies and relationships and miracles. All sorts of things. What are you supposed to do with these gifts? 2 Corinthians nine eleven. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be There's one, generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. Do you see how it works? When we pray, God blesses us. When he blesses us, we bless others. When other people are blessed, they then pray, and God then blesses them. Do you see the cycle? Hopefully it is clear. Let's look at the next one. 1 Timothy 4, verses 4 and 5. Since everything God creates is good... We should not reject any of it, but receive it with thanks. For we know it is made acceptable by the word of God and prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you, for those who belong to Christ Jesus. How many have said... What is God's will for me? What is God's plan for me? What is God's direction? I want to be in God's will. When we pray the Lord's prayer, it says for his will to be done here on earth. When I pray, I say, Lord, start your will with us. Start right here with us. What is it? It couldn't be more clear. Be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful. If you can't do those things, please do not expect God to divinely inspire you with some inspirational revelation or word that's going to change your life. If you can't be joyful, if you can't pray, and if you can't be thankful, because if you can do those things, Oh, if you can do those things. And by the way, we all know how to do those things every Christmas morning, so I know it's in there. Just remember when you are a little kid, you were like, oh, oh, I can't wait to open the gift. I'm so excited. Oh, Mom and Dad, thank you so much. And you're literally praying, I want to open more. You see the experience. It's there. It's there. Okay, Philippians chapter four, verse six, seven. I'm just throwing some at you this morning because the Lord put them on me. Philippians 4, 6, 7, this one you know. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Church, this is a word for everyone here who is anxious and is stressed out. It's so easy to say and so hard to do. Every time you feel the anxiety and stress upon you, what's gonna happen tomorrow? What's gonna happen at my job? What's gonna happen with this bill? What's gonna happen with this kid? What's gonna happen? What's gonna happen? Stop and pray. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he has already done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Psalms 50 verse 14. Make thankfulness your sacrifice to God and keep the vows you made to the most high. These are some verses the Lord put on me about prayer this morning. Hopefully you're getting the idea and the image. There's hundreds more. No creative story. No great insight. Just the word of God. But I do like surprises. I often surprise my wife, my kids. They hate it. I go out of my way to try to shake things up to surprise them with whatever. Um, when I come home, I tell them a different time than I really do, and I come home and surprise them. What we're going to do today, I tell them one thing, we go somewhere else. You know, I, I do all sorts of things. I call those surprises, they don't like it. And ultimately, I attempt to surprise you each Sunday With a new, fresh sermon, with new revelation, with a creativity, and as you know, I rarely preach an old hat rerun of a sermon. I look to the living word and I say, Lord, you know, show me something new, show me something fresh, show me something different. In fact, it's why I use the New Living Translation. I preached out the King James my whole life, and everyone knows all the verses, and they repeat them before I even get done my sermon. I only don't learn anything. I use New Living Translation, like, ooh, what's that say? Ooh, what is he about to say? Ooh, what's next? Like, ah, oh, wow. You know, there's something there. It's something there different, something special for you. Today, I will inform you this is not a sermon about how to pray or even why you should pray. I might dovetail this message some other time with those things, but that's not this week. This week, the Lord has spoken to me about a nuance. A mystery. A subtle insight that when carefully examined, well, it sends chills down my spine. Truth, I'm not trying to impress you this morning. Today, you might not even find anything I'm saying surprising. Quote, oh, I've heard that before. There's nothing new under the sun, by the way. You can literally hear everything the Bible has to say before. But today, maybe... You couldn't even care less about the minutia of the Bible. That's okay. You will in due time. Nevertheless, this message is in fact about tonight. I asked the Lord to share something with me that would inspire you to come back tonight with us. To maybe change your plans and be here for what we're calling a prayer service. It's not a prayer vigil, which is usually a long, unorganized time of praying or waiting on the Lord. We do these in Pentecostal circles all the time. Not so much recently where you come to church and you just pray all night long. Maybe we'll do that at some time. This is not that. This will be a highly structured, highly organized, highly cooperative time of blank. There's a word there. I'm not going to tell you what the word is because I need to share through the rest of the message. What is the missing word, you ask? Well, I want to look back to the word of God. So I bring it back to this example. What does a rooftop, a shower, and a river have in common? The same thing that a belly of a fish, a pile of ash, and a car have in common. The same thing that a church, a war room, and a closet has in common. These are all biblical places to pray. I can't get away at 1 Kings 19. That's what I've been preaching on for the last few weeks before Christmas. Just real quick on 1 Kings, there's this guy named Elijah, pretty important dude, one of the most important prophets in the Old Testament. This guy was insane, did so many amazing things. At one point, he went and challenged another set of mystic believers, these pagans who believed in their God, he challenged them to basically a spiritual duel where he asked them to to see if their God will burn their altar. And he then says, my God will burn my altar. And then he does this whole thing where water on, builds a moat and he literally calls the fire from heaven down on this altar and he burns this altar and he experiences God's power in the flesh. Then he prays for rain and there was famine in the land, they haven't seen it in this great and mighty storm and rain comes to revive the land. He just experienced all of this and right at that point the queen of the land basically set out to kill him. He was threatened. He left this place where he was at Mount Carmel and he fled to Judah. What do you need to get from that? He went from one place to another place. From there, God told him to journey 40 days, 40 days walking on one meal to Egypt, Mount Sinai, of course. He went from one place to another place. He got there and he hid in a cave. He was still scared. He was still threatened. God said to him, in verse 11 of 1 Kings, you can put it on the screen here, go out and stand before the mountain. He was in one place in the cave, and then he went to another place where he could see the mountain. In verse 13, it says, he did, and then chaos followed. You remember the story. The earth shook, the rocks fell. A massive hurricane came through. Uh, An earthquake happened. He didn't die. He was scared out of his wits. Pure and utter chaos. Then God moved. It says in verse 13, Elijah then went out from where he stood and stood at the entrance now of the cave. He went from the one place he was at to yet another place. And then verse 15, God answered him. And then Elijah, one of the greatest prophets of all time, complained to God for like the second or third time. And God said to him, ignoring the complaint, said, Move again, go. Verse 15 says something like, Go back to the same way you can and travel to the wilderness. We hate it when God tells us to go to the wilderness. Just take us to the land of milk and honey. He's often telling us to go through the wilderness. But again, Elijah went from one place to, I hope you're getting this, another place. Physically, he changed locations. Spiritually, he changed locations. In fact, he didn't even pray correctly. He got in the presence of God and he began to just complain and moan and argue. But he was first obedient to God. He was obedient to God. He listened to what God said, and he did it, despite what he saw, despite what he felt, despite what he wanted to do. We can all save ourselves so much trouble if we simply stayed obedient, despite what we see, feel, or experience. The Bible has clear and obvious instructions for us to obey, and it starts there. Amen? But then he did something else. This is the nuance. He moved. Say moved with me. Oh, Dad, I like how you do that. He moved. Or changed location. Each location, listen, listen. Each location resulted in a deeper, more profound experience with God, despite his heart, his mindset, or his personal agenda. I'm not talking about, in case you're writing this in your notes, Pastor Sean is saying leave the church. No. No. I'm not saying go find another church that has a deeper more profound experience with God. In fact, that's the exact opposite I'm saying. What I'm saying is wherever you are in your spiritual journey, we often get stuck in that journey and we begin to only see the surroundings around us and are limited by that boundary. And over and over again in scripture, and I don't have time to go through all of them, but I'll use Elijah an example. He stepped out of that boundary. In this case it was because of the enemy. This case was because of somebody who wanted to threaten him, hurt him, in fact kill him. And he stepped out of his boundary and he yet was still obedient. This is no sin here other than him complaining. He stepped out of that boundary, and God was able to do something with location. Today, God wants to do something with location in your mind. We need to get a hold of the mystery of God's location. In fact, God said to him, Look, God told Elijah, and I know some of you haven't heard the whole story. I'm just kind of sinking in the middle here because we have been preaching for a while. God told him to go to this mountain. Right? Then when he got there, he said, what are you doing here? And then God told him to go back 40 days to where he came from. I mean, can't the Lord just figure it out the first time? That's what you would think, right? But that's not what happened. You see, there's something here about location. You know, people travel all over the world to find Sacred locations. They pilgrimage to holy sites in hopes of experiencing something mystical or supernatural. They just discovered a new church and like a million people are trying to get in line to to be a part of it. See, we know deep down inside that location matters. However, outside of Jerusalem, God offers no guidance on particular historical sites that hold any extraordinary power. Not Golgatha. that's a big word. that's the place where Jesus was crucified. Not Jacob's well, not even the tomb of Christ himself. I mean, these places are great. I'm sure if you go there, and I haven't been, but I've heard stories of people in Israel who go, and they can feel the history of what's going on there. I'm not talking about that. There's something very real and weighty about the history of Jesus walked this place. But it's not like your miracle's gonna happen the day you walk in Jesus' tomb or the day that you touch Golgotha. Those places themselves do not hold some mystical power because all power is in Jesus Christ, not a place. Amen? We've preached about sacred items and sacred things before. But we feel attracted to these things not because God anointed them above other places. Instead, we find ourselves invited to them because of the mystery of God's location. Let me try to explain. I've been studying the scriptures pretty seriously for the last month, particularly on prayer, and I've recently noticed location. I have observed so far in every case of documented prayers in scripture that I've examined, the location is also detailed. I've been attempting to organize these locations, and to date, I've come up with three categories. The first, private spaces. These are like the ones in the story of Elijah, in a cave or in a mountain. doesn't matter how you got there, but you got there. Or in a prayer closet where no one can see you. Or as in the many times that Jesus found an isolated place outside to spend time with the Father. These are very intentional places. Places you go to get away by yourself and spend time with God. Do this. Put something in your life to remind you to do this. You know, I'm always amazed when we go house hunting, when we've done this before, I went in so many different houses, and you go to a Christian house, and you see maybe a cross, or you see maybe, I don't know, a Bible sitting out, and you see that in lots of houses. Then you go to these Eastern religion houses, and you see full altars set up. For Allah or for Buddha or for Confucius or for whoever. Full altars as a a reminder to pray. What do we do to remind ourselves to pray? I encourage you, set out a Bible, do find a routine, do something to encourage you to pray in a private place. Spend intentional private time with God. Jesus did. All the prophets did. The disciples did. The Bible says do it. Now most of us get the intentional part right, but we come to church. Or we pray at the dinner table. We seem to not be able to master the private part of prayer without maybe falling asleep. But that's not this message. The second place I find most often in scripture is obvious, but perhaps the most difficult to replicate in today's world. This place is what I call the right here, right now. You see, this is everywhere in Scripture. People praying on a rooftop. People praying by a river. People praying in a river, in a prison, in a dungeon, in a belly of a fish. Yeah, that happened. While in a wrestling match. Praying while standing on ashes. Praying while being thrown into a fire. Praying while on a battlefield. Praying under an altar. You get the idea? These prayers, by my estimation, are a direct result of the glorious combination of both necessity and faith. When you really, 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 and as Americans, we really don't have a lot of really need something, and you have the faith to ask God for it, you will stop what you're doing and you will pray no matter where you are. We have a hard time doing that in church. Some people come up to me and say, oh, you know, can you pray for me? I like, can I pray for you right now? And they're like, oh, no. People are looking. They may think I've done something wrong. Amen people needed help or an answer. So they stopped what they were doing and they prayed in the exact location that they discovered their need for God. When we do altar calls, the intent of an altar call is for you to come down, acknowledge you need God, and pray in the exact moment that you have recognized it. We, on the other hand, we certainly get the necessity part. There are things we need, no doubt. But I doubt we get the here and now part. It's more like I'll pray when I get home. Or I pray when I go to bed. Or I'll pray when I go to church. Or my favorite, I'll pray if the pastor asks me to. A trick to break the cycle, this is one real quick one, and I can't believe how much time's already passed. But the trick to break the cycle, I tell you, it's something I read in a book one time. Everything I've learned I've read in a book one time, by the way. Is, look, you all have to Drive. And every car, even if it's a brand new car with the RFID chip, you need your key to drive. And all of us either put our keys in our purse or right next to our car. Don't do that! If you need to break the cycle, take your keys and throw them under your bed. Because when you get up, no matter what you're doing, no matter how busy you are, when you time to get in the car, you'll have to go over to your bed, you'll have to get on your knees, and you'll have to reach for those keys. And at that moment, you will pray. Even if it's for five seconds. In turn... You may find yourself praying for people at Best Buy the next time you bump into them. See, location matters. In the Old Testament, they prayed in the temple for forgiveness of sins. It was the only place you could receive it. That's where God's presence was. But today, we know that there is freedom. The Holy Spirit broke from the veil of the temple. And today, we can pray in our car, in our beds, in the shower, while we're running. We can even pray at work. In fact, God tells us to. But again, that's not this message. So with four minutes left, what is this message about then, Pastor Sean? This message is about the third location. It's not about personal prayer, but for something less obvious in Scripture. It's about a location that defines a new type of prayer altogether. The location is defining what's happening in the prayer. The location is where believers gather to pray together in a multitude, and it's called corporate prayer. Or, like many of you call it, church prayer. So, you know how this is. The pastor says, everyone stand, I begin to pray, and you sit in your seat, and maybe you repeat what I say, maybe you think about what I say, or maybe you ignore what I say. But you are participating in corporate prayer. First, I have to remind you maybe the most important thing the Lord told me to remind you. Corporate prayer is not enough. Based on everything I said so far, it is not okay to only pray in church. In fact, there was way more in the Bible about praying in your private space or praying in the here and now than any other time or any other location. If you are not praying like that, fix it in 2020. Make those prayers your resolution. Now, corporate prayer is mentioned all the way back in Genesis. I have to share this little story with you, so just give me a second here. Genesis chapter 4, verse 16 to 24, there's like these 10 verses talking about Cain. You remember Cain? Cain killed Abel. He wasn't that good of a guy. And then there's all these verses talking about Cain and his life and his wife and his children. And it says all these amazing things. Cain's family were great musicians, and they developed cities, and they were businessmen with livestock. They invented tools. They were chock full of talent. But in those 10 verses, it says, Cain's family was godless. Then there's one verse at the end, one verse that talks about Seth, the third child in Adam and Eve's family. And in this one verse, verse 26, it says, and Seth grew up, he had a son and named him Enosh. And at that time, people first began to worship the Lord by name. They got together and they prayed and worshiped for the first time. It's sprinkled all throughout the word, but it does not come until full view until the book of Acts. Why not Acts? Well, that's when the church, as we know it, was formed. Before that, there's was a lot of prophets and individuals praying. We see people gathered together to pray, and big things happen. Today, I want you to focus on location. Each time they gather in an Acts, they gather in a specific prearranged location, usually it was a church or a makeshift church or even an upper room. When Peter was freed from prison, they gathered together in front of the prison intentionally. When people gather together to pray, it is different. I believe this is directly connected to what Jesus meant when he said, greater work shall even you do. It's the plural you, church. You see, he gathered 12 together, the first prophet to do that, And then Peter got 120 together, and look what happened. This is the picture shown in Revelations when all the saints are praying together. And then the Bible says when just two or three are gathered together, Jesus Christ literally leaves the throne and comes down and joins us here on earth. There's something about getting together. God is good all the time. You okay with this message? This isn't creative, by the way. This is just reading it as it is. There are three reasons, very short. There are three reasons I want you to be here tonight at 6.30. Maybe you can write these down. Look, if you can't be here tonight, it's okay, by the way. The pastor won't think anything else of you. If you have plans, I understand. It's okay. I get it. And you say, well, Sean, why didn't you tell me all year? You had all year to plan for this day. Why are you telling me now? I don't know. I'm not God. I'm a guy with a family of six, effectively, at a full time job. When I hear it, I tell you. 630 tonight, why? Number one, location. Most Sundays at 6 30, you're not at church. God is calling us here tonight to specific location, this building, and specific locations in this building. Corporate prayer should involve movement together. Simply moving from your home and coming here means something. When you come, you allow Him to enter you into a deeper, more profound experience just because Of your obedience, even if you have no clue what you're doing, and when you get here, you do it all wrong. The second reason is preparation. You see, we will all listen to prayers spoken out loud tonight. You will get to pray out loud, and if you like, you can be isolated enough so no one can hear you. It's a big sanctuary. The point is, you will learn how to pray better, and you will start to practice it. It's why I think that I'm going to be asking you guys to stand when it's time to pray in church. You see, we need to demonstrate to God and the enemy that we are one army, an army at war, trained and ready, not an army that's asleep or overly or quickly overtaken corporate prayers should be active and the third reason and when the lord shared this with me i could barely write it down we're encouraging all of the leaders to come here tonight what is a leader well if you serve the lord and you intend to want to expand the gospel and share in God's blessing, you are a leader, a disciple, a servant. We have volunteers of the church, people who do jobs in the church, almost all of them for free. You're a leader. If you're not, you're a leader who's taking some time off. That's okay. But just because we call you a leader or a pastor, That does not mean that you have more value than anyone else in this place. It can be so easy to look around the church and ascribe value. This is, in fact, a human flaw. We see those who can do more, do things better, or even do what we want to do, but we don't. We see the 20-something leader as the future, and perhaps the disabled senior as the past. We see the trained teachers as godly, and the rambunctious little kids running around as distracting. God does not see us. He does not see you that way. There's a beautiful verse slipped into Matthew 21, 14 and 15. Jesus just heals a blind man in the sanctuary after kicking out all of the people selling and making profit in the church. He kicks them out. He heals a blind man. A man can now see again. And in verse 15 of Matthew, it says, The leading priests and the teachers of the religious law saw these wonderful miracles And heard even the children in the temple shouting, praise God for the son of David. But the leaders were indignant. It's a big fancy word to say. They were mad. They were upset. They were complaining. They told the kids to stop. They were trying to say, don't you see God's at work with the important people around here? We should have all the less important get out of here but corporate prayer changes that it's the ultimate equalizer everyone is equal and equally important when they come and become a part you see today you're sitting and you're absorbing Some of you are absorbing more than others. Some of you are more awake than others. Some of you are more focused than others. Some of you are in greater need than others. Each of you will leave with a different portion, the Bible says, of faith as you leave those doors today. You're different. But when you come back and we simply pray together and you lift up the name of Jesus any way you know how, the Bible says we are equal. And at that moment, you are entitled to His favor and His blessing. We at Kingsway hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Sean. It was not by chance you listened to it. God is speaking to you. Visit kingswaycc.org to find the podcast from Pastor Sean. We pray today that this somehow inspired you to draw closer to God and to connect with His people, His purpose, and His power. God bless you.